Uh, we're really uh, glad uh, that you're here. And uh, today's kind of a uh, transition uh, day a little bit, a uh, transition uh, sermon. Uh, like I said, we're going to be starting a new series uh, next week uh, called True Colors. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more um, about that later. But uh, I heard about a, a customer of a local grocery store who just uh, marveled at the owner's intelligence and quick wit and all that. And so one day uh, the customer went to the owner and said, what? What makes you so smart as a businessman? What, what makes you uh, earn so much money? What makes you run this successful grocery store? And the owner leaned in and said, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't share my secret with just anybody, but you, you need to know um, it's fish heads that if you, need, if you eat enough of them, you'll get brilliant. And the customer said, you, you sell those here? He says, yeah, they're $4 a piece. So customer took them and about a week later, he came back and he was just disgusted. And he said, I've been eating those fishes. I am not any smarter. And the owner of the grocery store said, you didn't eat enough. That, that's your, your problem. And uh, so the customer took 20 more of these fish heads. And two weeks later, he comes back and he's even angrier. He said, listen, I just noticed in the grocery store that you're selling the whole fish for $2. You're selling me the head for $4. You're ripping me off. And the owner said, see, you're smarter already. Um, so... <laughs> Right? Nobody, here's, here's the thing, and I, I understand this as your pastor and your preacher, no, nobody likes to feel like they're being sold, right? Especially, you know, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of uh, walking around the mall or walking around the grocery store and a salesperson approaches you and kind of does the hard sell and all that. Nobody, nobody likes that, that feeling. And so I want to give you a heads up today. Uh, today is a sermon, all right? We're, we're going to be looking at God's word and reflecting on God's word together. But I was a little concerned as I, as I was writing this that today's going to feel um, a little bit like a sales pitch. And I really don't want it to but I'm concerned that it's going to feel that way because I come uh, with a request of you and I want to kind of make a, an argument for the request. And I'm going to put it on the screen. I just want to start out with what I'm kind of after today. All right. I told you earlier, but let me tell you again, I would like to ask you to consider joining a small group for the next seven weeks during our true color series. All right. That's the ask. All right. So now if you want to get a coloring page like the kids, you can do that, right? You, you know exactly what I'm asking of you today, uh, that, that I want to ask you to consider joining a small group for the seven weeks of True Colors. And uh, sure, we'll tell you that we have been uh, personally involved in a small group for the vast majority of our adult life. Uh, we, we really, really believe in these things. We really believe in doing life together uh, with, with other adults. And it really helps, in our opinion, uh, in a community like this, um, a lot of people are really connected to their families locally. And I think it helps to have non-familial relationships as you navigate life. Family is great, but sometimes family doesn't exactly see straight on you, right? Some of you uh, can walk on water with your families, right? And uh, if, you, if you approach them and said, well, I'm thinking about doing this, your family would never tell you not to do something, right? That's just not the way your family works. Um, others of you, you don't feel like you can do anything right in your families eyes. And so family a lot of times doesn't see straight on us. So we have just found as people that are, have kind of uh, live a ways away from our families, we have found that in, being in a small group and non-familial relationships has been really, really um, helpful to us. Now, I know I've been in a small group like for 20 years. And, and so a lot of these fears are alleviated in my life. But I know if you're a first time person thinking about going to someone's house and thinking about doing a small group, even just for seven weeks, it is terrifying to you. 
And I understand that. I, I, I really do, because I remember the first couple times in my adult life I, I went to one. And so what I want to do with today's message is I want to try to alleviate and also challenge you a little bit on the two greatest no's, reasons for no, that I, I get. Before I moved here, uh, I did youth ministry and small group ministry. I've been doing small group ministry uh, for quite a while of my ministry. I really, really believe in it. And um, by and large, I hear two big things when it comes to a, a group. And actually, I think we can explore the Bible with this a little bit. And hopefully I can alleviate some of your fears. Uh, maybe I can uh, motivate you to try one out. Uh, I just wanted you to know up front what we're doing today, all right? So let me show you. Um, uh, here's here's uh, reason number one that a lot of people say no. There's only two of them, but here, here's one is, I don't have much to offer, all right? This goes to a spiritual self-consciousness that I'm gonna get into a, I mean, by definition, they're small groups, right? So I'm gonna get into a small group and everybody's answering questions and everybody's praying and everybody has the answer and I'm gonna feel like I don't have the answer because here's what we sometimes say to ourselves. I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm uncomfortable with prayer. I don't know enough about spiritual, um, f spiritual topics and you're just gonna feel like that in a group. Um, and, and I think a lot of people have that fear. So open up your Bibles to Luke 5, because you're, you're going to fit right in with some of these uh, Bible characters that, that we study. You may not have ever thought of it this way, but Jesus actually spent his three years in ministry kind of in a small group, right? It, it, was a, it was a group of 12 guys, and he ministered to the masses for sure. But Jesus spent a lot of time with this kind of small group of guys. And what you need to know is that as Jesus was forming his group, he had a very different criteria for forming his group than other people had for forming theirs. So let me kind of give you a little background. If you were a Jewish um, young boy in particular growing up in the time of Jesus, one of your greatest ambitions would be to grow up and join the group of a rabbi. You would follow this rabbi around, you'd learn from him, and, and that, this was like the greatest honor that you could have as a young boy. So you'd go, you'd go to school as a young man, as, and uh, the young girls went too, but they, they weren't as welcomed into the rabbi system uh, way, way back then uh, as they would have probably been today. But um, you, you'd go and you'd go to school and you would learn the Torah, right? And a lot of times you would actually have large sections of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And you would have large sections uh, of, of the Torah memorized. And then uh, you'd go to synagogue and you'd learn more about the Old Testament. You'd learn more about the Torah. And then there would come a point in your training when you would go and interview with rabbis, Right? And so you would go, and this rabbi would ask you very obscure questions about the Torah. Like, you know, Leviticus 9.6 says this, you know, what, what do you have to, to say about that? And they'd ask you these very, very obscure questions. And if you could answer all of their questions, eventually the rabbi would turn to you and here's what he'd say. You can follow me. You can follow me. You can be in my kind of small group of guys. Follow me for two, three years, and, and then someday you'll be a rabbi, uh, a rabbi of your own. So you would receive an invitation to follow um, the, the rabbi. And so this is just kind of how it worked. And so when Jesus kind of was ushered onto the scene, a lot of people kind of thought of Jesus as a rabbi and that he would get his group together. And I want to show you what happens in Luke 5, starting in verse 1. One day, uh, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gesenaret, 
The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats uh, left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little further from the shore. Then he sat down and taught people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put it into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners at the other boat and, and helped them. And they came and filled their boat so they began, until they began to sink. When Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees, knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For, all, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, as also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats on shore and left everything and followed him. So if you were a young boy and you had interviewed with all of the rabbis and you had tried to get a place into one of their groups, a lot of times if you failed those tests or you didn't answer the questions properly, a lot of times what the rabbi would say to you is, you know what, following me is really not a possibility. You ought to go back and do your family trade. You, you, you ought to go back and whatever your dad has done, if your dad's a carpenter, go be a carpenter. If he's a fisherman, go be a fisherman. If he's a tax collector, go be a tax collector. You ought to, do, you ought to kind of go back to the family business. You're not cut out to follow me. And so you'll notice what, what these guys are doing when Jesus approaches them the first time. What are they doing? They're fishing. They're fishing. These are guys that had been rejected by the rabbinical system and someone named Jesus saw something in them that nobody else saw. He saw a characteristic in them that he believed that would make them a great addition to his group. He sees something in the disciples that nobody else saw. Because I can tell you, every other rabbi sent them out to be fishermen. They said, you're not gonna follow me, go be a fisherman. But Jesus sees something in them that no other rabbi saw. What did he see? I think that's a great question. I'm so glad you asked it. All right, so um, uh, flip over now a, a couple uh, chapters to Luke 18. And I wanna show you another story because this story is a little bit different. Uh, this is a story of a guy, and we're gonna answer that question here eventually, but this is a story of a guy who wanted to be in Jesus's kind of small group of guys. He wanted to be a disciple of, of Jesus, and he comes and approaches Jesus. And in Luke 18, starting in verse 18, this is what happened. A certain uh, ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and your mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he came back sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus looked and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said to him, we've left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife, brothers or sisters, parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age as in the age uh, to come eternal life. So different story. 
Because in this story, you have the creme de la creme of his culture, rich, young, ruler, position of authority, all of that, uh, wanting to follow Jesus, wanting to be in his small groups. A A lot of rabbis, well, a lot of churches would have fallen over themselves to get this guy. But again, Jesus is not judging by the same standard. That stuff didn't necessarily impress him. So it doesn't work out. This guy doesn't work out with Jesus to become his disciple. And here's the question on the screen for you. What is the difference between the rich young ruler and Peter, Simon, and the other disciples, right? The interview process is essentially the same. It always is with Jesus. It's one question. The interview is always the same. It's one question. Will you follow me? Will you follow me? Will you follow me wherever, um, wherever I am going? Will you leave behind what you know and follow me into the future? And the way we answer that will tell us if we're more like the rich young ruler or we're more like the disciples and the apostles. So one trusted in his wealth, the rich young ruler did. The disciples were willing to leave everything to follow Jesus. So very simply put, here it is on the screen for you. Here's the difference between the two. One was willing to follow. One was willing and one was not. Please, please, please understand this. Jesus wasn't and isn't looking for disciples with the biggest bank account. He's not looking for people that know the most about the Bible. Jesus isn't looking for disciples that have it all together. He always has been and will continue to look for those, listen to me, those that are willing You want to know what it takes to be a great member of a small group? A willing and humble spirit. That's what it takes. You don't have to know the most. You don't have to be the most righteous. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to know the most answers. You don't have to be willing to pray the longest and best prayers. Right? What it takes to follow Jesus is a humble and willing spirit. And it was this willing spirit that led these disciples to say to Jesus, hey, we don't think we, we've been, we're the fishermen, you're the rabbi. We've been fishing all night. We don't think there's any fish over there, but because you say so, we will cast our nets over there. It was this willing spirit that caused Peter from this story one day to see Jesus walking on the water. And he says to Jesus, call me out. I want to walk on the water toward you. It was this willing spirit that caused the disciples one day to come to Jesus and say, hey, we don't know how to pray. Jesus, you seem like you're a good prayer. Would you teach us how to pray? And it was this willing spirit that caused John, when all the other disciples ran away from Jesus at the time of the cross, it was this willing spirit that caused John to follow him all the way there. The attitude that says, I may not know everything, I'm not a spiritual hero, but I'm willing. I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to listen. And so when it comes to this whole small group thing, we often feel like we don't have what it takes. And what it takes is a willing spirit. That's all that, that, that a really a small group needs is a willing spirit. And we say, what do you mean by that? Willing to learn from others. Are you willing to listen to the experiences that others have had? Willing to give what I have, right? A lot of times we get stressed out because we think like we have to fill somebody's jar, Right, man, you know, this person in a group with me, they're having a problem. I got to fill their jar up. You don't got to fill your jar. You can't fill anybody's jar. I can't fill anybody's jar. You can't fill their jar. You know what you're called to do? Empty yours. And this is what I've learned. This is what I know. This is what I've experienced. This is my understanding of the Bible. And empty your 
cup. That's what it means to be in a group. It's willing to be listened, willing to share, just willing to be present, willing to pray, you know, over, over people, that sort of thing. It's just being willing. It's not having the best prayer. It never has been. It's not knowing the most about the Bible. It's never been about that. It's not having it all together. It's never been about that. It's being present. It's being willing. You know, they say that often about life and it's true, is that like 90% of life is showing up, right? Isn't that true? It's showing up. It's being present. It's willing to receive, willing to share. So that's what Jesus teaches us, first of all, is that it's not about having it all together. It's about being willing. Let me show you the next one, all right? The next kind of uh, concern um, that that you hear a lot about people, and um, this is where it's going to get just slightly tense in the room because you think I'm going to come after your hobbies, and I promise you I'm not, but here's the idea. I don't have the time. I don't have, right? See, it immediately got tense in here. It used to be, when I first started out in ministry, when you brought up money, it got tense. Life has changed, right? People don't get tense as tense about money. They get tense about time, right? Um, and so this is gonna be okay, I promise you, right? I'm not trying to take away anybody's hobbies, but it's, I don't, I don't have time. And this is a really big deal right now because, uh, and I, I get this, we have two kids, they're little, but, but we do have two kids and, um, man, everybody's overscheduled. We're over busy. We have so much going on. And Luke, we're going to just stay in Luke. So go over to Luke 14, uh, Luke, Luke 14, uh, verse 16. And, uh, I think this is a really interesting story about time. And, uh, we're going to have a train wreck of an illustration here in about two minutes. All right. So <laughs> I, I just want you to know this is going to be a train wreck, but I, I want to try to make a point. All right. And I'm going to, I'm like the most clumsy pastor in the world. I shouldn't even be trying this, but we're going to try it. All right. Um, So to understand the story that we're about to read, um, you have to understand that in Jewish culture, for a, for a, not just a wedding feast, but for any feast in particular, a pre-invitation would have gone out. And so this guy's going to have a party, a pre-invitation went out, and everybody kind of agreed to the pre-invitation that received it. They got the invitation, said, on this date, I'm throwing a party. And everyone's like, that sounds like fun. I'm going to come to your party. And they'll let me show you. Uh, Luke 14, uh, verse 15. When one of those at the table had heard this, he said to Jesus, uh, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come now, everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I must go sell it. Please excuse me. Another said, um, I have first brought, uh, I I have just bought a first yoke of oxen. I'm, I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. I can't come. The servant came back and reported all this to the master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring the, uh, bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, uh, when you or- uh, what you have ordered has been done, there's still room. And then the master told his servant, go to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. All right, so pre-invitation goes out, it is accepted, um, and then uh, when the actual party is ready and that invitation goes out, um, some of you have experienced this that have thrown a party before, when it comes, hey, the party's ready, it's time to come, it's called deer caught in the headlights look, (laughs) 
right? It's like, oh yeah, I agreed to come to that. And they had overcommitted themselves, all right? And in the end, uh, dinner with their friend became the expendable crew member. Now listen, some people think these were made up excuses. The Bible tells us they were excuses, but some people think they were made up. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure they weren't, uh, they, they were made up excuses. I'm not sure that just life didn't just happen, but for one reason, and I'm, and I'm also not sure that it matters. For one reason or another, they couldn't make dinner with their friend. Now listen, this is a uh, story that Jesus tells <clears throat> on a macro big level. This is a story about us saying yes to Jesus so that we can share in his banquet for all of eternity. Right? On a big level, that's what, this, that's what this parable is about. It's saying yes to Jesus while you're here on earth so that you can share at his banquet table for all of eternity. That, that's the macro level of this. But I think there's a really, really beautiful kind of micro level to this story. A day-to-day, uh, a day-to-day application of this story. And here's what I mean by that. I think this story is a beautiful image. And here's the image. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. The creator of the universe wants to share a meal with you. And that, that is a very beautiful image to me. The creator of the universe wants to spend time with you and me. He wants to share a meal with us. And yes, on a macro level, that's talking about eternity to be sure. But you know what? I think on a week by week basis and on a day by day basis, I think God wants to share a meal with us. He wants to spend time with us. Uh, it's one of the beautiful things of our, of our creator. But here's the deal. It does require us to share the meal with God, to share the meal with Jesus day after day, all right? We're not gonna talk about eternity right now, but just day after day to share a meal with them. It does require us to sit down. It does require us to set the time aside and it does require us to enjoy the meal. And I will tell you, any person that's been a Christian for any length of time, will tell you this is the huge challenge of being a Christian in America. Here's what it is, as succinctly as I can say it. It's making time for the meal. Man, it's challenging. Making time for the meal is challenging because if we're not careful, life can get so overcrowded and so busy that all of a sudden we realize we're missing our meal with God on a daily basis or a weekly basis or monthly or whatever. We're missing the meal with God. And, and if we don't get that time set aside, it, life just kind of happens to us. It happens to me. There, there have been times where you come to the end of a day or whatever, and it's like, I feel like I missed my meal. You know, or, or time you come to the end of a week and it's like, I have not had very many meals with God today. And, and God is gracious and compassionate. He wants to share a meal with you because he loves you. He wants to spend time with you because he loves you. Uh, but it does require us to get, to, to make that a, a priority. It's the person that is just working so much and they're so overtired. And they look back and like, man, I don't even really find time to pray anymore. Uh, it's the overworked mom that's going 100 miles an hour. And it's like, man, I, I don't feel like I can find time. And it, it's the once on fire Christian that has just so filled their life um, that regular time with God seems like a distant memory. And please, I hope this is not at all coming across uh, as like judgmental because this is like a me too thing, right? One of my values as a preacher is I always want to articulate me too. So it's like, this is a challenge, me too. Right? And anybody that doesn't find this a challenge, I mean, uh, it, it, it just is for a lot of people. I was reading, I found a really interesting uh, story about a woman in Washington State 
that was planning her wedding day. And uh, she, she had all the deposits down and she had everything ready to go. It was all, all ready to go. And then for one reason or another, uh, they canceled the wedding 12 days before, all right? Um, which is rough, but it wasn't the day of. And I've heard of that happening before too, but uh, 12 days before uh, they canceled the wedding and they were gonna lose all their deposits and they were gonna lose all that stuff. And so her parents came up with a really interesting idea. They said, let's throw a banquet for the homeless of our community. Uh, and just kind of use the money. We've already spent the money. We can't get it back. Let's just do a, um, let, let's just do a banquet for, for the homeless. And they had a DJ, good music, warm, friendly atmosphere, strawberry shortcake instead of wedding cake. And, and when I read that story, I thought it was a really beautiful image. It reminded me of our story today uh, because the homeowner had the food ready. The party was ready to begin. He didn't have anyone to attend. So he said, go quickly, go to the streets, the alleys, go into town, bring the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Bring anyone you can find because I want my house to be full. This is the attitude of, of God that we see in this story. I want to spend time with my creation. And so they go out and they start inviting people in. I picture the religious folks being kind of like offended at, at this part of the story. It's like, why would Jesus uh, not want to invite more Pharisees or more, more people that maybe had it more together? They just didn't get it. But here's what the story says they were looking for. They were looking for people that would say yes. Yes to the invitation. Um, that your heavenly father has invited you to a banquet. Yes, for all of eternity, for sure for all of eternity. But day after day, you're invited to a banquet and he's looking for people to say yes. So what do we do about this whole time crunch thing? I am so nervous. All right, so, um, not really. All right. um, I want to apologize to anybody listening online, by the way. Um, I was practicing this this morning. It's going to be loud as you're listening online. All right. Um, so we all have, um, a, we all have like two or three like big rocks in our life, um, things that are really important to us. Uh, this particular one just happens to be decorated Michigan State. All right. Um, it's one of my big rocks. All right. Um, this one too, actually. All right. So um, that's not good. Two out of three are decorated that way, but I just found these at our house. All right. Uh, and we all have a couple things that are really important to us. And then we all have a million little things that are seeking after our time. And if we're not careful, what can happen is we just, we fall into a pattern of yes. Will you do this? Will you participate in this? Will your kids join this? Will your kids do that? Yes, 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 yes. And all of a sudden what can happen is, I am so sorry online. All right. What can happen is, our life becomes so full of these little yeses and then we can't get our big rocks in. We can't, we, can't get, we can't get the things that really matter to us in. And I talk to a lot of people that really, that really, really struggle with this, right? They get to the end of their life, they get to the end of their week and they're like, man, one of my big rocks was family and I feel like I just worked all the time. One of my big rocks was time with God and I just feel like life got away from me and, and, and they find that they can't, they can't fit that stuff in. So something I was taught, let me wait till I get that done. Something I was taught a long time ago was this and this has been really valuable to me. Your big rocks go in first. <laughs> your big rocks go in first. They are your highest priority. Your big rocks go in first. And then look what happens. All the other little things that are vying for your time, they fit in around the big rocks. 
And it's possible at the end of your week, you will have said no to some things. But notice what you've said no to. You said no to the little things, not to the big. And I find that this is the best way for you to structure your life. I don't want, I'm not trying to get rid of anybody's hobbies, right? I'm not trying to get rid of anybody's time commitments, but I have found that the best thing that you and I can do is to get the big rocks into our schedule first. So let me ask you, all right, what are your big rocks? And only you can answer that. Only you can answer that. But I want you to think about that right now. What are your big rocks? Uh, let me offer a few suggestions, right? Ho- hopefully, maybe church, regular church attendance is a big rock for you. Joining time with your family and friends to, to worship God. Hopefully that's a big rock. Maybe day after day time with God, a quiet time with God is a big rock. Maybe time with family is a big uh, rock. And here's what I want you to, here's what I want to ask you to consider, all right? I want to ask you to consider having a small group be a big rock. And only you can make this decision. Only you can decide. But I want to ask you to consider that because we have found it to be such a valuable part of our spiritual development as a family, uh, being involved in a small group. So consider that having a big rock. And then I will tell you that when I, when I first came here years, uh, years and years ago, I think I'm screwing up the lighting, guys. But when I, when I first came here uh, years and years ago, um, I really, really struggled um, uh, sermon was sermon writing. I um, I had preached quite a bit at my previous church, but when I came here, I was preaching 40, 45 times a year. And uh, very often, we were in this little rental house in, in South Shores. Very often on Saturday, um, Cheryl would be out watching some t- TV or whatever, and I would be like running ideas by her for the next day, right? And I was so stressed out. By, by this process. It was like, man, my first two or three years here, and often on Saturdays, I, I'd, I'd still be writing. I, I got to do something about this. So I developed this theory around sermon writing. And, and what I ended up doing, just kind of give you one example how this plays out, is, is that I, I developed on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. This is what happens with my sermon on Monday. I don't go home till it's done. Right? So on Monday, the sermon is here. On Tuesday, the sermon is here. On Wednesday, the sermon is here. And on Thursday, the sermon is here. Right? And Friday's my day off. Um, and, I, and it was so life-changing for me because I developed a schedule with big rocks. And I said, if I'm going to keep my sanity as a senior minister right, and not go cuckoo crazy, right? I need to develop some big rocks each day of the week. And so that's exactly what I did. So I think we can apply that to our lives. That on Monday, big rock. This, this is what my Monday looks like. And I don't watch TV. I don't go to bed till I've done this big rock. Time with my children. Uh, t- time reading the Bible. Time praying. On Sunday, we're setting this time aside for the Lord. And it is a big rock. Right? And no- nothing takes the place of it. On Wednesday, it is our, we're, we're going to do the, the small group series uh, that, that's coming up. So on, on Wednesday night, uh, small group is going to be one of our big rocks on Wednesday night. So what that means is like I don't schedule stuff for my family on Wednesday night because we, we have an ongoing kind of thing going on for those seven weeks of this series. So this is how I found it with sermon writing and also just with regular life is that these big rocks, whatever they are, control the day. And so I want to encourage you, uh, as you go home today, 
to just think about your big rocks. That's my take home today. Um, I thought about having a big rock for everyone uh, to take home, but then I thought if you didn't like the sermon, that would be a bad idea, all right? So I decided not to hand rocks to the entire church, all right? So um, what, what I do want you to think about is this, what are my big rocks, all right? And there's not necessarily a right, there's not necessarily a wrong answer. I've encouraged you to consider having small group be a big rock. That's up to you. Just think about what your big rocks are and then begin to organize your week around your big rocks, all right? And it's interesting that when Jesus came to earth, he came and he set this example for us of of what big rocks look like and time with family, time with friends, uh, time in ministry. He set that example of what that looks like. And that group went and they launched the church. Um, An amazing thing in the book of Acts, they launched the, the church. And part of what the church looked like as it got launched was that they committed themselves to remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus whenever they were together. That was a big rock for them. Remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was a big rock. And so they said, when we get together, whether in a small group or a large group, one of our big rocks as the early church is we're gonna remember Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And that was a big rock for them. And it is for us too. We have followed that example. Some people are like, why do you guys take like communion every single week? instead of just like quarterly or something. And I don't judge those that do it quarterly. I really don't. But it's a big rock for us that we believe everything flows from the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And so every single week, we want to remember his death, burial, and resurrection. And we put that big rock into our jar. And we say, we're not leaving this place till we remember it. Right? So announcements and all that stuff kind of flows in around it. It's a big rock for us. And so we're getting ready to enter into that time where we're going to receive communion and we're just going to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's a, it's a good time for us every week to recenter ourselves, to remember what's a priority, to remember the power that we get from that. Um, and so let me pray and then we'll pass communion. You can hold on to it. You'll find two cups stacked on top of each other. Just hold them and I'll come back up in just a minute and we'll receive, we'll, we'll take the communion together, all right? Um, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you uh, for his grace. Uh, we thank you uh, for his love. We thank you for the big rocks that he demonstrated for us. Um, Lord, my rocks <laughs> get out of whack all the time. Like where it's like all of a sudden, like, <laughs> like I'll look, reflect on my day and it's like, man, TV must've been like a big rock to me today. What, what on earth happened today? Um, and, uh, Lord, I just want to reevaluate what's important in my life. And I want to make sure to get those things in first so that my life's not out of whack and my priorities are where they should be. So I pray right now as we're reflecting on what should our big rocks be, um, I don't want anybody to feel pressured or um, like they, they, they have to say one thing or another, but would you lead us right now as we're reflecting on your son that our big rocks would be the same as his or similar? We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his death, burial, and resurrection. It's in his name we pray, amen.